Welcome to The Conversion Show, a podcast that's all about, you guessed it, conversions. Everything that gets you to your goal, whether that's purchase, lead capture, app install, content downloads, chat engagement, or demo requests, we're talking conversions. Hosted by Eric Christensen, CEO and co-founder of leading conversion optimization platform, Just Do Know. On The Conversion Show, Eric sits down with industry-leading marketers, e-commerce growth experts, founders, and entrepreneurs to chat all things conversion marketing. Be sure to follow The Conversion Show podcast to be notified when a new episode goes live. Like what you hear? Leave us some love with a review. And now, here's your host, Eric Christensen. I'd like to introduce Derek Heine to the show. And Derek, would you please just share with the with the audience real briefly, what you're working towards um, currently and and why I've invited you on today. <laughs> yeah, you know, I three years ago uh, or so, I assigned myself the task of trying to map the commerce enablement landscape. So starting with the e-commerce technologies that are crucial to direct-to-consumer merchants, and even we have a whole category dedicated to Amazon sellers, and then moving out into the broader retail technologies, 3PLs, agencies serving e-commerce, and there's there's a whole bunch of other kind of uh, sub subcategories that you can imagine. So commerce enablement kind of covers that broad category, and we found that um, not a lot of people are treating the commerce enablement category different than things like B2B SaaS or SMB or something like that. Uh, but in fact, when you're selling directly into e-commerce, you know, there's a lot of different functionalities built in that solution and a lot of more benefits uh, arise for, for the merchant to understand. And so by looking at this market sector and trying to decipher it, we're, we've made some progress. We I've demoed over 280 different technology products and put reviews of them up on our site. And we, we're, we're really just trying to help guide merchants through the process of choosing technologies in a lot of the major categories. So it's not like that, you know, $5 little, um, little, little banner bar or something along those lines. We're looking at the major things. Um, now we're moving into ERPs and more inventory, but actually a lot of it was originally centered around the MarTech stack. So email service providers, certainly personalization suites, SMS, uh, conversion rate optimization, split testing tools, uh, post-purchase checkout, right? Loyalty reviews. And, and of course the, the list continues on and on and on. And so we've been deciphering that now for, for a while. And and uh, sadly, we're more tools have launched than we've demoed. But <laughs> so we're well. We're I mean, we're in ten. Up. Yeah, when we first started just in ten years ago, there was like a handful. Now there's ten thousand plus. Yeah. And as you talk with digital marketers today, their jobs are are. You wonder why digital marketers are so stressed out? Is so much falls on their plate now, and they're so savvy. And with these apps, you can do so much. So so much pressure has fallen on the operations. It's not just marketing, it's operations, et cetera. Like you said, ERPs, you know, as we talk about the Amazon experience, what's critical to it is you, you, you shop there because you know, if you buy it, it's going to ship, you know, it's going to get to you the next day and it's the item you ordered. And if you need to return, it's easy. You know, and what you're hinting at actually is that the leaders in a lot of the departments of a retailer or e-commerce merchant, each of those department heads uh, now has to be their own technologist, meaning they have to actually analyze the technology landscape, decipher which tools to use, and then be bring in those vendors and onboard those sol solutions. But 
a lot of these people weren't ever trained in being a technologist. They weren't trained in how to vet technology products, right? And the organization, almost all retailer organizations, save for the big five like Walmart and Target, they don't have a big enough budget to have an in-house technologist that can go around department to department to help out with these things, right? So, so let's that, help them right now. Yeah, We've got yeah, no so. one better than Dare <laughs> with, so e-commerce tech IO, you've reviewed 280 plus apps. Let's help people understand. What, as we move into 2023, we're finishing up 2022. If we're looking at, let's say, you know, we can narrow it down to, you know, the Amazon experience. What to what apps do you feel are just like the baseline standards that people people should have in their stack? So I don't want I don't want you know I'm putting it on the spot right there so we can backtrack a little <laughs> to ones that you know you feel are very interesting today, ones that clients you talk with or ones you review that are kind of like the staple, you know, yeah. creates that nice little ecosystem the yeah the, the 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 general the pillars that like probably most people listening will already have you know email and sms uh some people still haven't adopted sms it's 2000 it's about to be 2023 so i don't know what your plan is but it's time <laughs> it's definitely time and practically i'd say you know 95 percent plus of merchants will will see a benefit with sms so so email and SMS uh, solutions need to be in in full force at all times. That's, that's kind of obvious. With the SMS, can we can we pause on that yeah. because we have obviously it as a channel for marketing offsite, but we're seeing it become really essential when consumers really want to use it during the shopping experience. And we say shopping experience from purchase decision to it showing up on their door and then deciding whether or not they're going to keep it or return it. Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of shipping apps really incorporate it into the experience, which I think yeah. is super effective. Uh, and it's it's getting even more complicated than that. And I see a lot of tools kind of merging into what they're, they might be calling a customer experience platform. This is kind of a emerging category where SMS is only a, a component of it, right? And and so it's thinking about um, all sorts of delays. I just met with a company, lateshipment.com, that um, that helps kind of route and track orders and send these messages. And like you have a few automated messages that some providers might send, like uh, like okay, the order has shipped, the order has arrived, things like that. But there might be other ones like the order has been delayed for five days, or the order hasn't been updated as expected, or um, the order seems to have been rerouted to the wrong location. And there's a lot of different other triggers that can be communicated in the SMS experience, as well as that that communication can not only be pushed to the customer, but it can also alert your customer service team. Maybe we need to send another shipment right away rather than wait for the customer service inquiry to come in and so forth and so on, right? I saw an interesting one recently where it was, it was like, okay, you're getting these and they're all one way. Mm -hmm. The two way is kind of like the next evolution of the ability yeah. to respond to it. Two way long code SMS is definitely priority over short code. And as we're talking about like moving into 2023 and the Amazon-like experience brings up another important category, because if you launch that, if you're doing 10,000 orders a month and you launch that, you're going to explode your customer service inquiries. Unless you create automated workflows, AI automation, chatbot kind of experiences that are both genuine. And so it's, a, it's okay to have a chat first, uh, a bot first experience, genuine, resolving tons of ticket issues, but also capable of escalating the situation up to a real person when the bot cannot solve the problem for the customer. Right. Derek, that really showcases your 
grasp of business because we we're even doing it with our business. We do it all, you know, we just did it yesterday in the meeting. It's like, how do we reduce tickets? Yeah. You know, you're looking at the support team is working in conjunction with the shipping team is working in conjunction. All these departments now it's critical that they, they work together yeah, and they understand them and, and hearing the, you know, you're hundred percent right. And a, a lot of your, I, you know, even on your the recent comments from your, your recent event, you know, complimented you on your, your, your very pragmatic view of AI and how to apply it to a business. It, it needs to be, yeah. So, so if you're looking at implementing a system like 2A SMS, you have to be worried about tickets, which means you have to have this other underlying system in there first. And I think that's why a lot of people actually hesitate on it and, and don't go there. It's like, oh my God, this is just too big of an elephant to eat right now or whatever, you know, they, they, they can't get all the way through it. And then they end up waiting till 2024. And then a lot of opportunities end up passing you by there. Um, you're, you're hinting at the, another aspect of, you know, reducing customer service tickets. So uh, a few other things that come to mind. One is return management software. A lot of returns are now handled without a customer service agent. And you can also mitigate pretty well without a customer service agent through a flow or sequence, uh, offering store credit, offering to give a discount instead of a return, you know, if it's like not working as well as they wanted, things like that, right? Uh, there's another tool that I, I'm actually an advisor for called Phoenix Commerce. This predicts the landed date of the product on the doorstep. So it uses AI uh, to like geolocate the person. It looks at the weather data, the seasonality of the time of year. And it says, and the warehouse where the product is actually located. And it says, okay, if they order, that product will be shipped from this warehouse. It takes 24 hours to get out the warehouse door. It'll take three days to get to their doorstep. So very accurate landed date prediction. Amazon's doing that. So you said Amazon experience. Well, to me, that is the number one weak point of retailers on their product pages. The ability for me, when I'm shopping your site, for me to know, you know, I don't want to see Texas as fast free shipping. Yeah. I want to see in five to seven days. That's, yeah, a, you're that's like, always a really ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah. It's communicating to the consumer what we know they care about. What we know they've become accustomed to at Amazon. Yeah. And even with the returns is con communicating, having, you know, don't hide it in your footer, communicate on the product page. We understand that a hesitation to you might be the hassle of a return. Here, we work with this app that yeah. has made it super easy. Yeah. And, and that, that so reduces friction, increases conversion rate. And then in, in the case of this, the app predicting the landed dates reduces a lot of customer service inquiries uh, because first of all, if I know, if I've already been kind of pre-told when it's going to arrive and that's like, you know, it has a 90, 95% accuracy rate and you can kind of adjust up or down how, if you want to get more uh, aggressive with it. But, um, but essentially it's, it's pre um, predicting, you know, within a margin of error. Um, and then if that error occurs, the back end of the platform, um, similar to that other uh, kind of solution I was talking about, will send your customer service team a message or send the customer a message saying, hey, like it looks like we are going to be two days later than we thought. So again, proactive customer service, reducing inquiries, and that that will reduce a whole bunch of stressors. I mean, I, I don't know if this has happened to you. I have put I've put in a ticket for for customer service. Where's my order? It seems to be lost. It's like it's stuck there. Yeah. The 
uh, the product arrives eight days later than I wanted it to. And the customer service team gets back to me four days after that. Not very helpful, right? <laughs> like, it's, um, it's, it's the customer experience. It's the communication. And oftentimes they're like some, some items you're like, I don't need it tomorrow, but I don't want to wait forever. So if it's a day late, whatever, I, I just need to know whether or not I need to go look out and see if it's been delivered so it doesn't get stolen. Yeah. But if they send me a text saying, hey, it's, hey, sorry, it's delayed, but it will arrive here. Okay, cool. On the flip side, you have an opportunity if it gets early. How great is that? Like, yeah. Oh my God, we we shipped it faster. Like, would you review us? Yeah. And that and that is another tool that needs to be in the stack. Another kind of de facto is definitely review uh tools. And there, there's a lot of feature parity in this category, but kind of the the key things you really want is making sure it's pushed to Google Shopping with the right um kind of uh, Google at both Google reviews and Google shopping. And then uh, photo and video reviews are more crucial than ever before because you can often use that as user-generated content on the product detail page in your ad creative. Hello, like put those into your ads, right? Like, and, and just re-highlight those, those customers back to the existing audience can often outperform other ad creatives and types. And then you need a great process for collecting those reviews. So we're seeing now, SMS messages to ask for the reviews with some form of incentive, like, you know, 500 points or $5 gift card. Right. And then on, the, um, and then that mobile experience for the review. So if I'm, if I'm taking the SMS and I can review via mobile, it better be a mobile first review experience. Right. <laughs> and, and right. So <laughs> that's yeah. what I just wrote mobile plus faster on yeah. my notepad because I just shopped uh, sheets and giggles, got some uh, organic eucalyptus sheets awesome company great shopping experience showed up in this beautiful box i got i got the email to write a review and it had the whole thing it had like number of stars so i clicked the stars expecting something to happen it just took me to the review thing i'm a huge believer in reviews uh we wrote our own review software in the last company and it's all about there's so much opportunity there like oh kendo's doing some great stuff capturing first parties or party data uh, you mentioned the Google pushing to Google, so critical, so it gets into their system uh, for to, for scale. But I haven't finished. I started my review. I started on my phone, and then and then they kept asking more and more and then more, and then and then I had to take my kids to school. Yeah, that's it's too like, long. That's a lot. If they just said like, "Hey, snap, you're on your phone. Snap a photo of the package or it like on your bed. Would you?" And just put reviews. Say, you know, you're verified. Like did this and then the key thing is did it arrive fast like the key items get that up and out because right now it's buried now yeah they, they maybe need to make a more of a multi-stage review process so that like the first one should basically be yeah be very very minimal barrier to entry either uh, a quick one-liner or optional photo video not everyone will do photo or video, but you definitely want to incentivize just like a one line and a star rating. And then that, that verification that you mentioned, like making sure that I'm an actual customer can be really helpful and having some sort of third-party credibility around that. So like Okendo verified or whatever it is, Trustpilot verified. I think there's a few others that, that kind of verify that it's not a, a fake review. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, then, um, and then also, I think another missed opportunity in reviews that I'm not seeing a ton of is, okay, I just posted my photo review to them. 
can I also share my photo review on social media, right? And perhaps even link my referral code, right? So partner with my reviews and loyalty and referrals should all be tied very closely together. Oftentimes your review and your loyalty software can be the same company, but, uh, and which often will include referrals, but getting that out on social with my unique referral link so that I can drive, you know, get my $5 off my next purchase and get my friends all using the nice same eucalyptus sheets that I'm using, right? So um, if we kind of reset real quick, we've talked about, about SMS, two-way long code. We were just touching on UGC and loyalty, reviews, returns, level setting. Can I ask some of you, like you reviewed 280 apps just probably this year alone, who knows? Um, well, uh, returns, who should we look at for returns? Yeah. And the one thing I, I often tell people before they ask me for specifics is that my job is to understand uh, the category. And oftentimes I'll never be able to tell a merchant which one tool they should go with within that category. I can rule out a few things based on integrations, whether it's enterprise or not. <clears throat> okay. Sometimes Flat. there is a feature missing. I love I, that's a, such a political response. It's great. I love but it. I can, let I me can, let me repose my question. Yeah. I'll, 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 give you, I'll give you the major players in the category. Well, I'm pulling it up. What here. before you do that? What are the you know? There's umpteen different op options available for every category. What are the what are the core the baselines that these digital marketers should look at when trying to figure out which one to go with? Yeah, and with returns, oftentimes it's a mix of three teams: operations, customer service, and marketing might all be looking at it. Your retention-oriented marketers are going to care. Your customer service team is absolutely going to care what tool it is because it's reducing their inquiries. And then your operations team on the fulfillment side, is the package being sent back to me? What are we going to do with it when it's sitting in our warehouse? Uh, and and uh, and then just generally, how do I mitigate more returns? They might care in lots of different ways. So your COO cares about cost of goods sold and some other things that'll be incorporated in there. So those are those are the things that you care about when going into this. Another thing is, before you start with a, re like you shouldn't need a re returns tool if you do one return a month. That you can do by hand. You can do five returns a month by hand. I actually just spoke with a merchant the other day. She's doing about 50 returns a month. And we determined that her returns, because they're in the fashion industry, uh, were largely around buying three different sizes and then returning two of them. Right. And so we said that there were some upfronts things we could do with fashion tech for predicting the, the sizing better in yeah. order to reduce the need for a return software. So I said, go do that instead of getting return software. Right around 100 returns a month, maybe a little bit below that. That's when you start really needing a return software to, to grow it out. And the return companies will all tell you something different because they want you as a customer. Yeah, you could totally use this for five. Yeah, it's $50 a month. Okay, that's $10 per return. If my average order to value is $40, like, you know what I mean? Like, you can see how this can really break your cogs and all that stuff, right? So, so um. So that's one of the things I look at. Each of them will have some sort of return flow or sequence with the idea of mitigating as much human need as possible. Where a lot of people struggle is whether they can do partial returns or returning from bundles or bombs. A lot of companies need that and some tools maybe don't do that or don't do it in the right way. Sometimes that has to do with how you've configured like your Shopify storefront to work because you've made it one product and so it can't really be partially discounted, but maybe there are some rules or logic with some of these tools that can over overcome that. The, you know, they'll all have some way of printing out a return label, right? That's 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 all going to come standard with all these tools. So you don't really care too much about that. The question is whether that should be paid for by them, pay for by you. Um another thing is whether you should be 
giving them the money back right away before you've received the product or whether you give it to them after you've received the product. And these are actually operational, you know, SOP, standard operating procedure kind of things you have to decide in your organization, but they also will come with what you need to do with the tool. So you need to make sure that the tool works in alignment with your standard operating procedures. And that's why in this category, and there's many others, but this category, especially, you have to demo like three or four of them and really make sure that they, that you have your must have features or needs. This is what our process is going to be like. Can you support us? You have to ask them that and you have to make sure that they show you how that might work with one of their existing customers. And don't let them tell you it's, it's on the roadmap we'll be able to do that next <laughs> the okay nugget there is 100 returns i think that's a fantastic response because you there's a lot you can work out ahead of time and also operational in technology that can help solve it on the front end like you mentioned with that other one the the other is the experience of returns you know you mentioned you have to print out a label i don't own a printer i hate paper you know that's what's so nice about you know, Amazon is you can just show them their barcode at UPS and they'll they'll scan it and print out the on the thermal printer, put it on. Yeah. Um, in, in some cases, you can send a return label with the package. That's the only way around this. So you have to preemptively yep. create a return label. And I do think some return software will do that. Largely, that has to do with you and your 3PL or whoever is actually making the fulfillment process. You have to work with with them on how that might work. But um, there, I think there is a way to get that accomplished. I have a question, and I'm not sure if you know the answer. You know, because Shopify is investing, you know, Harley's big push is, you know, how can we help our retailers replicate the Amazon experience? They bought the distribution fulfillment facilities. And we're talking about operational stuff, which consumers don't understand how insane it is to manage and build a retail business. You're in the trenches, your, your margins are slim. And returns are just horrific for your. They can sink a business. Literally, yeah. can sink a business. And and you think you know people think oh we made the sale we're good but no you have to go pick pack ship, track, get on the doorstep make sure it doesn't get stolen off their doorstep deal with phone calls for some reason I'm responsible if somebody steals your package off your doorstep. We used to ship <laughs> snowboards. Yeah. We like to snowboarders. <laughs> Imagine what we had to deal with. You know so. You know, with all that, what is being done today or what apps to allow retailers to offer the ability for someone to walk into a UPS and return an item that they bought on Shopify, for example? Yeah, Shopify. I'm not seeing a ton of it because honestly, you need to be a larger merchant, but this is something that Shopify should open up and where they're going in their direction. It makes a lot of sense if all Shopify supported brands or anybody that's on the Shopify fulfillment network, as an example, you know, they, they could have local drop-off spots. Obviously Amazon has Whole Foods. They acquired Whole Foods and then they're like, Hey, now you can drop your packages off in the back of Whole Foods, which is kind of, uh, it's kind of odd to be honest, but it, it actually works really well, uh, given that they're, it's now a wholly owned subsidiary. And so, you know, Shopify could perhaps do this or a large 3PL network, maybe ShipBob could pull off something like this for their uh, yeah. large distributed network. So maybe a okay. large 3PL could do it. But as an individual retailer, that would just be so tough because like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going to open up my own return center in Los Angeles. And then it's, you know, it's it's one central region, maybe my most popular, you know, area within 40 miles and, and people can still drive there. So it's I, like- It would almost have to come from UPS. They'd almost would have to have, have it some system built where you as a consumer could walk in, scan your- your code and it knows what to do. 
Yeah, maybe maybe there's a way for. I mean, certainly, if you're at UPS, you can print a label. Right? Let's so, pause there because <laughs> we're going too deep. Yeah, there, there, there's something here. I like what you're talking about. There's maybe something these return there, management so. platforms should be thinking about a deeper level partnership in in streamlining this process because honestly, they're they're more focused on the customer experience side. Well, the digital experience side of return management. Often they don't necessarily even care to track the package back to the warehouse. They often don't care if that if that package is uh, approved for, you know, maybe it was damaged or something. They don't care if that package makes it back on the shelf, right? Amazon is like literally throwing millions of dollars of, of, of return products away because they don't, it's too hard. It's, it costs more money to get it back on the shelf than, than to sell it again. Yep. And that's obviously very wasteful and and well, uh, that's the thing that I think consumers aren't. I'm sure there's savvy consumers that identify those products and just take advantage of it. Yeah, we and I know retailers do it. We would do it if if the item it, we we looked at the numbers. We're like, it's cheaper. We just say keep it. We'll ship you a new one. Yeah, it's yeah. Cheaper. And I even I even uh, I bought like a LED tree for ninety nine dollars, and it didn't turn on. It just straight up didn't turn on. And they're like, just keep it. And for a while, we just we we cut off the cord and just had like a a non lit up a little like a tree. It was like a backdrop yeah. element or whatever. But you know, uh, I, if I'd have known that, I would have bought four hundred of them. And yeah, said, right. No, uh, not not recommending fraud. My wife works for a fraud prevention company, so definitely not recommending fraud. But there is there is a an element of like just keep it that should be considered when there's a return process. Either just keep it, or you know. If it's being returned and not being used, uh, that's not very helpful. Now, there's a there's a tool that I like in the Shopify app ecosystem called Returns for Sale. This is a tool that once it's been returned, if it is damaged, you can add an individual product. So kind of a, a it's kind of a different product. So you might have your regular product detail page, and then there's this box that's like. Uh, get the maybe it's an AC unit. Usually, it's better for larger dollar products. So there's a ten thousand dollar AC unit. This one's only ninety five hundred because there's this little dent on it, right? That somebody took sent it back for. And so you can sell that product at a different price, and you can actually adjust that price over time to clear out this backed or, or returned inventory, uh, which I really like because it's 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 making you money off of what's essentially you know dead shelf space. Uh, so it's like clearing off that excess inventory. And I think, I think you just wrote the business plan for how we're going to solve returns for retailers. We'll just take it all on. We'll yeah. Pay the retailer and we'll, we'll go sell them. <laughs> that, the, when I worked for a beauty box subscription, the, the CEO had originally started by doing that. He was buying excess beauty products at, at bulk and, and selling them, uh, like at, at a, at a discount to everyone. And so there is this whole, yeah, there, there's a there's secondary market, um, type of stuff going on, but you know, not everyone wants to shop in a secondary market, buying eucalyptus sheets <laughs> in a secondary market, you know, not, not exactly what you were looking for with that high-end shopping experience. So. All right. So to bring us back on track here, which we can right now, because when we talk about returns, brick and mortar, you know, we're, we're starting to see the, re you know, with COVID quieting down the return to brick and mortar and the, and, and the marrying of, you know, these, strictly online plays opening up retail stores like rad power bikes for example they have their yeah. showrooms you know we're seeing this this new evolution of retail which is fascinating so you know we get back to that opportunity to communicate hey you know we know you're in this region we have a store in this region 
you can return this item in store. So getting to that messaging, obviously you have to have it at a certain level of scale, but in larger markets, as a consumer, if I know I can go just, you know, I don't like it, I can go return it in store. That does help. Yeah, I think absolutely. And of course, <clears throat> this was, you know, the original genesis of, of e-commerce coming from retail, if you can remember back then, where you had, you know, Macy's or JCPenney's now selling online and and whatnot, uh, Foot Locker and all these guys, right? You, there, there was always, it was always considered a thing. What we have now is the uh, is e-commerce brands launching retail showroom experiences, and that also becomes a center for returns. I think it's, it's naturally built into the business model. When they launch a showroom, it's also mm -hmm. a return room. <laughs> I think the message here, and we put a pin in it, is that returns are critical to the customer experience. And there's some incredible technology innovation happening right now to help with that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and well, if, if you have more right than 100 your business to, to add them in and make sure that it's as streamlined as possible, study, analyze, and, and improve that process. And if you have 100 plus returns a month. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. Good, good starting point. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, it, I love talking operations, and I, you know, I think that was so so insightful. The the comment of, you know, you've got operations, customer customer success team, or customer service, and marketing. And when you're looking at these products, you have to talk. These department heads have to be in communication. So that really s stems from leadership in the company. You know, putting customer experience at the forefront. And there needs to be there needs to be a weekly call. Having done this in-house, you need to have a weekly call with all three heads in, in the same room, not the rest of the company. You don't need finance and everybody there. Just we need to know what are the rising ticket issues. That's that tends to be an important one. What are the upcoming marketing campaigns? That that's important for customer service to know. And then what's going on in the warehouse? What what are our inventory or SKU levels? And this also brings in merchandising as well. For for instance, if we just sold 10,000 units that are getting uh, you know, 400 inquiries on customer service, then maybe we shouldn't go buying more of it. Or maybe we need to buy more with a specific change made to that product, right? Maybe we need to go all the way to product development and ask them for, for changes on the, on the upfront. Maybe we need to change our messaging around it as quickly as possible because it doesn't do this one feature that we said that our, our you know, electronics item or whatever it is, our, our bell or whistle uh, doesn't do. And, and, uh, and, and so we need to, you know, the, there's, there's a lot of proactivity that can occur there. And uh, sadly, from experience, I can tell you a lot, it's generally reactive. It's generally customer service tickets rise up. Fire is so big that somebody finally realizes that there needs to be something done about it. It's too late because we've got all this inventory to push. Now we're going to liquidate it. So we're going to lose a bunch of money, right? Instead, uh, marketing message is still aligned with the original uh, messaging. Not the, not, it hasn't been updated yet because they're on to the next campaign. And so, so, so much can go wrong if just a weekly touch base between those three department heads. Oh, man. I'm I'm having flashbacks of being a retailer. Yeah, I know. I, I, I honestly, I'm. It's, a, it's a little bit uh, nicer over here. We're a lot less fires to put out. Still fires, but a little, little bit less than the, the retail fires. So as we, we, we close out 2022 20, here, and we're kicking off 2022. Um, what are the? We've talked about returns. We've talked about reviews. We've talked about. Uh, the company we're going to launch doing man managing returns. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and all those things. <laughs> <laughs> Reviews. Um, 
you know, the pillars of a business, what do you see the, the, you know, who's exciting? What are some brands you're working with that you, that get it, that really are kind of continuing to push it in 2023. We'll see them really kind of, you know, be spotlighted more. Yeah. Um, I don't think I can give you a list of brands. I study tools way too much to study brands as well, but the. <laughs> well, no, that's a good point. I, what I sometimes do is I look at, I'll look at um, when I'm shopping, you know, whenever I'm online shopping, I look to see what tools they're using. Yeah. And sometimes always. some companies, you know, will be like, oh, they get it. And some they're like, so behind, they're like archaic, you know? There's a few things on that Amazon shopping experience that, that, we that that brands need to be getting and and the 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 ability to be logged in is actually pretty important so that when i'm logged in on your site then the experience can start to be more personalized to me if right right now probably i mean you tell me 90% of home pages are static 95% 99% of home pages are static why 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 are why is it if you know if you know or could know who i am then you would serve me, you know, slightly different content based on my browsing and purchase experience based on that zero party or first party data you've collected from me, right? If you know it's Derek Haney, like with one dog, right? Instead of three cats on your on your pet food supply store website, like it's, everything should be different for me. And the experience needs to be catered around what I want to see. And there's enough ways out there to collect that information and personalize that experience that like, hopefully but i mean by the end of 2023 hopefully we can take that 90 95% of what website like home pages product detail pages they're all static like the, why why is it so static right and and make them catered to me like um an example that i like from the fashion tech space that i have talked with uh her name is Whitney i forget her last name right now from 3dlook.me they they have you take two pictures of yourself and can figure out your right sizing Right. And I was like, okay, cool. And then she's like, also, if you click this little box, when you're on a product, it can show that product on you. And I was like, why do I have to click the box? Why not just put the product detail page be me so that I can see the product on myself instantly. Right. And I think that's, that's where we're, we're heading in a world where the at the fashion brand isn't showing the product on a model. It's showing the product on you. Like models are going to have a hard time getting jobs soon uh, for two reasons. First of all, because we, we just won't we won't need them because it will all be the models. But second of all, because AI generated models, anyways. But the the so like well, it's like actors. You don't need actors anymore because every show is a reality show. Yeah, there you go. Everyone's an actor, right? There's a there's a big democratization coming, and some of it is with the the superpowers of of AI and and the superpowers of, of personalization. Every message, every email, every SMS. Uh, more catered to to me, not just as a segment, but as an individual. Uh, it's coming soon. Derek, you just you essentially summed it all up right there with personalization. The fact that every visitor visitor in today's world still gets essentially the same experience, whether you're a new visitor, repeat visitor, or customer, whether you're coming from paid, whether you're coming from organic, whether you're in Australia, whether you're in the US or Canada, for the most part, what we hear from all our customers is they're just serving up the same experience yeah. all the way to the basics of if I've already given you my email address, when I show up, don't ask me for an email address for 10% off. You already have it. How do you not know this? That's, I've shopped with you like one. 10 times, <laughs> yeah. you know? but to achieve that is complex. That is what we, our job, you and I is to help 
our retailers understand what tech stack, the pillars, that's your word. I like that word. I saved it. What are the pillars of this tech stack to make that happen? Yeah. And, and the, the first thing is once you're logged in, it's a lot easier because obviously cookie cookies are very limited these days. Right. And that's why the logged in experiences, I think the, the secret sauce to this. I love that. Obviously we can do it as we build audiences with the first zero party data. And we, we have that sense. The maybe with shop pay, it can be, and I speak to Shopify, it's, it, we, it could be easier to get people to log in, but it's so hard, you know, in today's experience, it's always check out as a guest or log in. Yeah. And then you're, no. you're going to be pressured to have your password and your one-time password. And all of a sudden, I just want to be a guest. <laughs> so here's our business idea too, a cross store domain shopper identity account yeah. where you store all your, your own personal shopping information so that when you show up on a site, all the filters are set, all the categories are set. I like that. The, I think that there's, um, that's what Shopify should be doing. There's a login button in the top right corner of every Shopify store. So <clears throat> I don't know why when I go back to the store, I'm not logged in the same way I'm logged in on Amazon. So this, it, it, this, it, uh, sadly, you and I, I don't think it start the business. I think it has to come from the platform. <laughs> um, otherwise, I would stop what I'm doing and, and jump on that one because I think it's a big issue. I'm going to, I'm doing a big asterisk next to that one. Cause when it comes to think about Amazon, when you log in Amazon, you're like, we're always, I haven't, I haven't logged into Amazon in months. I, I, it's like once every six months is you need a relog or something like that. I think right there, Derek, I, to me, that's a refreshing, exciting concept and idea. Yeah. Um, once you're, once you're auto logged in or just logged in, You've got your loyalty points. You can see your subscriptions. You can see where all of your orders are. You've got the personalized product feed. You know, everything is catered to you. Makes sense. Also, another, another aspect of personalization that I'll touch on really quick. We hinted at a little geolocation. If I'm within five miles of the store, I want a different, different messaging. And here's a fun one, actually. Uh, Weather-based marketing. So you're going to look at where the person is, and then you're going to make it rainy and sell the rain jacket to the people that are in the Northeast and sell the, 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 the sunglasses and shorts to everyone in uh, Malibu. <laughs> That's, that was such the, uh, was it Monotate? Who was before Optimizely? That was like their yeah. thing, like 2010. Yeah, they, they tried to make it a thing, but it's actually, it's really, it's hard to pull off. Yesterday it was hard to pull off. I think in the future, it'll just be like, you know, snap your finger is easy and everyone should be doing it. Well, it's like with landing pages, it's this, this thing where, again, digital marketers are so busy. The thought of just getting a new landing page up itself is daunting with everything you have to do. And then they tell you you should A-B test that page that was really hard to even get live. And so it's the reality, where, where can you spend your time? And that's where we're going back also to the AI functionality of being able to process, you know, run these tests potentially create the copy for the tests automatically for the test everything and you just we can't be adding more tools to the stack we have to understand a stack that is working in conjunction with other technologies and also with an element of ai and you know 
it, it, it we have this is I'm excited for 2023 because the recipe we're, we're there we're getting there to make it more attainable to to achieve these these strategies but it's just way too much there, uh, it, it's becoming yeah it's simultaneously becoming more complex and and more simplified in the sense that <clears throat> as AI does more of the job for us we will actually have less to do we'll we'll be we won't have to write every email copy or create each segment using our own you know custom tagging system it'll all that'll that'll all be done for so the the what to do and how to do it gets a little bit easier uh and then we're just managing maybe broader strategy or making sure the ai is working in our favor with the right things that we want for it so but on the back end it's getting more complex because technically that means 4000 different messages are being sent to your 8000 customers or whatever it is right and and therefore you're you know there the but the complexity is is handled by our friend the ai um and and so that that's where we're we're, we're definitely heading there i think um I think there's no job in e-commerce that can't be fully automated in within 15 years. Um, so, so the whole the whole thing, uh, choosing the products, running the financials, paying your taxes, right? Like, like you know, sourcing inventory, hiring a 3PL, spinning up a warehouse, printing on demand. It could, like I don't see anything that can't be solved soon enough with it. So, where where should we sit as marketers and business owners? in making sure that we're not we don't become irrelevant while this kind of change occurs right that we're able to take advantage of it lower our cost of goods sold increase our margins either take that to the bank or use it to acquire more customers right or innovate products yeah exactly so that, that we can continue to stay on top of our our customers and audience with what they want so as we finish up our our window of time here we can talk forever you know as we we look at e-commerce tech io as we look at you derek's here helping um helping digital marketers research discover e-commerce apps you know to help them grow their store today are there any other categories that uh we didn't touch on that you you may after the show be like oh, i wish i'd actually comment on that one you know live and social selling is is something that i've been bullish on for a while we did hint on conversational commerce a little bit in the past, and I think there's lots of ways to use that on site and not just through customer experience, but through the, the user experience, which is pre-sale. Uh, but but live and social selling, um, selling directly on those channels or aggregating, sell, you know, all, uh, pushing one video out to all the channels at the same time. We see Amazon launching Amazon Live. Comment sold is a really great live selling tool. Um, and, you know, any brand that has a form of visual appeal, freshness, newness, and if you've got like a cool person at the helm, you can absolutely better sell your product through through um, doing it directly on social and then doing it in a live capacity. Um, and it's also, it's a great way to engage the audience and you can you can make it broader. Uh, Chubby's has a podcast on like, you know, the weekend or whatever it is. And and it's, you know, and then they sometimes sell sell. Uh, their their shorts off the back end of it, but like um, so so sometimes it could just be all about selling. Sometimes it could be a little bit more about the theme, like snowboarding or snowboarders, right? And 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 bring, then sometimes showcasing. Oh, that's a sweet board that he just rode in that shot we just showed. It's this board here, and then like you know go into selling. So that there's a lot that can be done there in real time. People want to engage with you and and have a conversation, and and so bring it to the forefront of where they are, and everyone they're on social. We know that I'm a huge believer in video. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's how we built our our snowboard company way way early on. It's like video reviews, 
learn how to snowboard. And as we manufactured yeah. snowboards, we had our Sierra Cruz, which were in all the videos. You know, it's like, yeah. it just, key, it just investing into your, your customer's experience, hands down, is going to be the most sustainable way to grow your business long-term. Yeah. I, I love that you mentioned Chubby's too, you know, being here in the Bay Area, you know, they, they their marketing is so, it's so gorilla. <laughs> and their shopping experience on there is fantastic. Um, and, you know, I feel like even their related items, you know, their gift with items, everything they do, I, I feel like they, that's an example of a retailer that is really trying to engage and they understand their customer. I feel like when you shop with them. Yeah. And they, they clearly care. They, they put up the upfront investment into everything that you're seeing, touching or experiencing to make sure that it's valuable. So it's not, it's not done like haphazardly. It's there's, there's clearly care there. And I'm sure mistakes have been made, but it's, it's putting the customer first and saying, yeah. it doesn't matter if it costs us more money or we have to, you know, do it the hard way where we have to do it this way so that it, it's always a good experience. Well, Derek, thanks so much. I hope the, the audience picked up some good points there. And, uh, you know, please visit Derek at ecommercetech.io. And in 2023, uh, do you have anything slated uh, coming up in Q1? Any, um, we've got our event, The Future of E-Commerce, February 22nd. We'll be opening up registration for that in January. February 22nd, January. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Derek. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you.